This is the last coffee house. I read it so you don't have to. And today we've got the man, the myth, the legend, Walt Disney himself. Well, not himself in book form as written by somebody else. The triumph of the American imagination. Now, obviously, if you've been here for a while, you know that I've seen every major Disney release. I have since supplemented all the major Disney releases with a bunch of the stuff that I didn't even knew Disney did. And of course, I'm doing all this as the company itself is in steep decline. <laughs> Not revenue-wise, but creativity-wise. But so, I thought it would be good to get an idea of the man behind it. And I believe this is actually the lesser biography. I meant to get a different book, and I ended up with this one, and I didn't realize until I was most of the way through it. So, I finished it up, and here we are. It's got some good stuff in it. This was written by Neil Gabler published 2006 and obviously it's biography it's just going through Disney's life and covers his entire career at Disney from just starting a little animation studio all the way through the ruining of Star Wars well not quite that far <laughs> So, to begin, did you know that Mickey was originally named Mortimer? But Mortimer, Mortimer the Mouse, how do you feel about that? His wife actually hated that name, Mortimer, and suggested Mickey. A nice little light, fluffy Irish name, which of course stuck. The original cartoon depicted Mickey flying a plane. There were some swirling apocryphal stories about Walt having befriended a mouse that frequented his house, and that's where he got the idea from Mickey. Much of the reason for all the circles in Mickey's drawing is for ease of animation and as you see a lot in a lot of these stories about the great things in human history it was the limitations that made the things great some of the earlier drawings of mickey mouse had him long and thin and Minnie is actually named after a friend's wife apparently and one of the things that you see which is so crazy is how disney was there from the beginning in the evolution of the whole medium of visual storytelling so at this point they didn't even it was still silent pictures or still silent stuff and cartoons were their own little category and really boxed in so you had these silent cartoons that you got to watch and and it was disney who really pioneered a lot of the early syncing of music with his cartoons when it wasn't even broadly used in live action movies as far as i could tell from the book so but it was a major part was the syncing of music to his cartoons you know all of his shorts that he was doing with mickey and and the short in the beginning really pushed forward the technology when it came to visual storytelling and Mickey himself was actually a spoof of Buster Keaton and they would do this a lot they would take real life characters or real life people and make cartoons out of them and especially the Steamboat Willie which is the one that everybody remembers from Mickey the you know where he's driving the boat and whistling that was apparently a spoof of Buster Keaton so the inspiration was Buster Keaton who was of course a, a big deal along with Charlie Chaplin and Charlie Chaplin was a later inspiration as well or even basis for Mickey. Ub Iwerks was another animator, early animator at Disney who would have a contentious relationship with it but he was very instrumental in the development of Mickey and he had two sides, Mickey did, where he was on the one side the Chaplin character and on the other side a Douglas Fairbanks character so kind of a superhero adventurer. I didn't know much about Douglas Fairbanks so I had to look up what kind of person that was. But so you had this mixture and a lot of the time you 
had an issue with you really not knowing what Mickey's personality was because he'd be pulled in different directions as necessary. So a lot of early potential investors were and early studios were really worried about tying up the whole silent movies and didn't know how far sound will go. Of course, to us from now, it seems ridiculous. Obviously, it's going to go to sound, get to work on it. But they were really worried about this. And Disney developed this ball system to sync the music, musical beats with what was happening on screen. Because he had a lot of difficulty and wasted a lot of money with musicians trying to get in line with what was going on on the screen and having a lot of trouble doing it without this system. And at this early on, people were trying to buy the studio. And I just love definitely the first, I don't know, the first half of the book. It's so great to hear about how these things start out and how small it was and how few people and just the motivation behind trying to do this thing or that thing and all the struggles early on. They had a lot of struggles early on. Just trying to figure out a workflow and how to do things and how to figure out stories and who to sell cartoons to and how to sell cartoons, who's going to distribute them, who's going to watch them, all that stuff. But the the Mickey stuff, Steamboat Willie and Mickey cartoons were doing pretty well. They did pretty well, but I mean, he was always spending way more money than he had. His brother was actually doing the business stuff and Walt would do all the creative stuff. So they had that bifurcation, but it led to a lot of tension between them. Then they have the skeleton dance that comes out. Actually, Mayor from Metro Goldwyn Mayor. What's Mayor's first name? I can't remember. He hated Mickey. He said that pregnant women were scared of mice, so it would never <laughs> do well. But other companies were trying to catch up once Disney really started in earnest doing the whole sound thing with their cartoons. And they started really early. I didn't realize how early they started with the Mickey Mouse Club, but really broadening this thing out and trying to get kids involved and interested in Disney and the kind of Disney stuff they had. And they didn't have any of the princesses or anything like that at this point. They literally, they just had their small cartoons. They eventually add Donald Duck because Mickey was getting too sanguine. Uh, there wasn't enough to him. He was too nice. So they eventually had Donald Duck, who was in addition, who was kind of a little jerk. So that added some more to it. But one of the things that was throughout in the beginning was that the gag was fundamental. They would spend a lot of times figuring out how to do each one of these gags and do them right. Not just throw away lines that we seem to have nowadays where it's all just improvised. This little line that anybody could say or that little line that anybody could say, it would be based on the circumstances and the character of the characters. And then we have another big step, color cartoons. When you start adding color to cartoons was another big step. And then you have the three little pigs, which was huge. The song was a big deal. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? And the cartoon itself, they'd play before feature movies or as part of collections. And The Three Little Pigs was huge. Broadened the appeal beyond just Mickey at the time. The Three Little Pigs was a big deal. And then they really started in earnest with merchandising right away. Where they're trying to sell Mickey stuff and Donald stuff and, and all that. Then he wanted to get into features. And there was really early talk about Alice and Bambi. And Bambi was based on a book. Obviously Alice is based on a book. Alice in Wonderland. And Snow White was another one in the beginning but this Walt was heavily involved with Snow White in the production of it he would perform it and this is one thing that a lot of people said that he was excellent at performing these things that you'd really feel it and be able to see what it would be like on screen but there were multiple stories all over the place when it came to Snow White that were just all these different strains of stories that they cut away and combined and put together and all sorts of different stuff that eventually became what Snow White was everybody that's one of the things there were so many people working on Snow White for years and Walt was heavily involved in it and they had to come up with every little piece of idea he would write these little notes about this thing happening or that thing happening what the the evil witch should be whether she should be hideous or 
beautiful, whether she, she should be terrible or more appealing, what Snow White should look like, what the dwarves are going to be, all uh, dwarfs are going to be. All of these things were not just downloaded. You know, these were things that they really had to put into it. There were a lot of dwarf names in the beginning, so ones that ended up not being used. Some of the super awesome ones were like Tubby, Baldy, Deffy, and Shorty. Those were ones that were, were considered but not used. There were other ones, Wheezy, Lazy, Jumpy, Dizzy, Hickey, Gabby, Nifty, Sniffy, Swift, Puffy, Stuffy, and Burpy. These were <laughs> all potential names and potential dwarf personalities that kind of could have come out of this. Of course, the ones that came out uh, were probably the right choices. There were actually a lot of issues with uh, Dopey. They had a lot of trouble figuring out what Dopey's personality was going to be and eventually decided that he was going to have a dog's brain. <laughs> <laughs> just act like a dog, but be a person. So he's a human with a dog intellect. And Snow White was a huge success. And I always thought it was just Snow White was a big success. That was the end of it. They never had any money troubles again. <laughs> but it absolutely was not the case. He was still spending like crazy. They need to get loans constantly from the Bank of America. Snow White was a huge critical and financial boon. But it wasn't just the end of history where they got to do whatever they wanted now. It was just the beginning of everything that was going to go on here. He, he would bring in these academics about storytelling and like they had this one guy who said there were 31 types of gags and they, he would try to outline these are the different types of gags and, and he became this parody to the employees and didn't last very long the animators themselves one of the big things was going through how the different animators worked and didn't work out but they would do things like go observe people in the wild to figure out how to animate things they'd throw bricks through glass and rocks and water to try to figure it out and Disney himself he was super invested in Snow White every little thing he was into for years until it came out and then he would get obsessive about different things as they came along and they would distract him from the actual animation later he would say how can you possibly make a better picture than snow white he felt like he hit it he hit the peak and there was nothing else to do but he got into polo at one point until uh, this guy died when there was a collision with walt's horse or something like that then he gave up polo for good he had bought like polo horses and all this other stuff he really got into trains at one point and building trains at his house and that would become an integral part of the way Disneyland was designed but they had so at this point now after they have this big hit with Snow White now they have to figure out okay what are we doing next there were a bunch thrown around there's Winnie the Pooh there's Peter Pan there's Alice in Wonderland there's Pinocchio there's Bambi Bambi was actually delayed to make Pinocchio and when it came to Pinocchio they were actually it was late in the process that they thought of Jiminy Cricket they just thought of a cricket maybe and then he became Jiminy Cricket and then he became the focal point of the story which I think is an extremely important element of the way that story functions and at the same time Walt had this idea he was always trying to push it push it push it later he would say something about how you don't beat pigs with more pigs you need to do something else so uh, there was something called the concert teacher he was come on coming up with which would become Fantasia he had actually run into a composer a classical composer while they were both individually having lone dinners at some restaurant and he'd talk to him and they'd come up with this idea where he wanted to combine animation and animation inspired by classical music with the classical music and this would become Fantasia but he wanted it to be he saw this as like this huge new art form he wanted it to be a really big deal and he had just these ideas like there was obviously the sorcerer Yensid which is Disney backwards and Mickey doing their thing which is one of my favorite Disney things ever it's so amazing and when it came out it was critically supported there were some there was some controversy around it 
because there's controversy around everything. But it wasn't the giant sweeping coup that Walt thought it was going to be, that he hoped it was going to be. And so that was something, uh, somewhat of a disappointment. And uh, later his his mother died because of a faulty furnace in a house that he had bought and he paid for the installation of this furnace. And so this was really destructive to him. This is something that really affected him for a while, him and his family. And not to leave aside his family, he had a couple of girls and his wife and they had their quarrels for sure, but she was very supportive. He drove the girls to school every day and picked them up every day, no matter what else was going on. And he and his wife would go on these long trips whenever he was feeling, because in the beginning he would allow himself to be overwhelmed by everything that was going on at the studio, but when he would just be disenchanted with it, you know, if he was into something, he was into something. He stuck with it 100%, but when he would be disenchanted by something, like there were money issues, always money issues, and trying to find money for this or money for that, and bank loan issues, and when he would just be disinterested in the projects that were going on, then he would go on these long trips with his wife, and she had wonderful things to say about him, and the kids had wonderful things to say about him, but they did absolutely, and this is one thing that's returned to throughout, his employees and the family would say how he would have his moods, he was, he suffered these very serious ailments throughout his life, especially after a polo injury, and he would have to take these, do this medical procedure every day to try to relieve some of the pain, but he would get into these fits, he would be angry, but there was one that his daughter talked about where he, when he felt emotionally slighted by her at one point, you know, he would blow up and it would be this crazy ridiculous thing, but when she like crashed the car, he wouldn't say a single word of approbation or anything like that, or criticize her for that. It was a weird way that he acted, and the employees said, you know, they could cultishly worship him, and some employees would absolutely hate him, and that's just how they had to work. Oh, this is one thing that he said about Fantasia. <laughs> Talk about an overstep. He said, quote, I think this thing will make Beethoven, end quote. I don't know, I don't think he was being facetious. He never seemed like he was being facetious about his grand plans for various things. Uh, but this is, talk about an overstatement. <laughs> <laughs> will make Beethoven. But a lot of critics threw this back in his face uh, after it came out. And then we get to Pinocchio. It had great reviews, but it had lower turnout. Ended up being a loss for the studio. He blamed Gone with the Wind. But a lot of people talked about how it lacked an intangible something. I just think it was much too dark and it was different for Disney and for the time. I think it's brilliant. I love it. It's something I remember as a kid that has an indelible stamp on my brain. And it's got great storytelling. It's fantastic. But it is really dark related Related to other Disney projects. But you think about it, and now the Disney stuff, even the classic Disney stuff with the princesses and everything, there's something so overly bright about them that, I don't know, I mean, things like Little Mermaid, they have their dark spots, which is appreciated, but other ones, there's something just too overly sugary and bright. It's It just seems disingenuous. But soon, Bambi would come out, and obviously, Pinocchio and Bambi... <laughs> They have some pretty dark spots in those. And the whole, the death of the mother, this is something, Walt was serious about the death of the mother in Bambi. And he was the one who decided how to show it off screen and not have him stumble upon the body or anything like that. Those were his ideas. Uh, there were huge budgetary issues when it came to shooting Bambi. They had to shoot a lot of stuff in silhouette just so they didn't have to animate every little bit of it. But the death of the mother and not showing that actually wasn't part of that. That was a decision early on that Walt determined. And of course, controversy, uh, uh, some people said it was an insult to sportsmen. <laughs> 
at the time. I can't believe, I mean, it's always been this. It's always been a bunch of whiny people. It's just more amplified now because of social media instead of just being one column in one paper one time. Ugh, it's so ridiculous. Then Dumbo, he stumbled upon Dumbo. It was a really simple story. He thought they could knock it out quickly. And they did. They were less focused on realism. Historically, they had been really focused on getting more and more realism. But at, at Dumbo's point, they sort of let that fall away a bit. For Fantasia, when that was released, they actually used this Fanta sound, this special sound system in some theaters. And Walt actually talked about using scents that he would spit out into the theater of like flowers, different things that were going on in the film uh, as part of the film experience. And there's some political criticisms. I think like I talked about, I can't remember the specifics of those. RKO was the distributor and they did not like Fantasia at all. And there would eventually be a bad relationship between RKO, which made Citizen Kane, right? And Disney, there would be bad stuff going on between them that would lead to their termination at one point. Then we hit some money troubles, even though some films were doing well. He was spending a lot on shorts and spending a lot on the features to the point that the bank was giving loans, but demanding that no more features could be made until uh, the ones that were in production were done. Or They let him choose a couple to keep working on and finish, and they couldn't start any more features. And Walt's paternalism started getting more extreme. He would He started weeding people out at the studio and even fired family where necessary. And then they get hit with Pearl Harbor and World War II, and they start doing government films and pictures in South America, which actually did really well. Saludos Amigos and what was the other one? I don't know. I think that was Mexico, actually, not South America. I can't remember. But there were some propaganda. Reluctantly, Walt eventually started doing propaganda films for the government in World War II. He resisted it for a while. There's one where Donald fights Hitler. <laughs> but there were films like training films, too, for government agencies and the military that they would produce. And these, he actually sold for cost. But he said that they got the name out, Disney name out and all that. He tried to do some work with Salvatore Dali. And I think it was only in 2006, actually, that they actually made a cartoon from this treatment related to Dolly. And I started watching it, but I didn't finish it. I'll watch it at some point. At this point, they have to start making compromises, and it's really tough because it's it's expensive, and the quality starts to go down. Uh, and Warner Brothers starts to turn out the Looney Tunes, you know, Tom and Jerry and Bugs Bunny. And where Disney was kind of in this box of being morally upright and being more friendly and accessible and having good morals, the Warner Brother animators kind of were uninhibited. They could do whatever they wanted. And a lot of the Disney animators really admired that and wished they could they could have that kind of freedom in animation. And we've got Alice. Alice was supposed to be actually live action surrounded by animation, ended up full animation. Aldous Huxley actually wrote a draft of Alice in Wonderland. So that's, that's something. Writer of Brave New World, of course. We've run into him already. And then Uncle Remus became Song of the South and that came out later. He sent the script to everybody all over the place, the NAACP and a bunch of leaders to see if there was anything that was suspect or offensive or anything like that. He just sent the script out and let people read it. There was the whole controversy about him being a Nazi sympathizer or anti-Semitic. The filmmaker who made Triumph of the Will, Lenny Riefenstahl, was invited to Disney and then later disavowed and wasn't allowed to come to Disney. So she created Nazi propaganda films. Walt himself, he donated to a lot of Jewish organizations. There was one employee who was Jewish who left Disney and hated Walt Disney, but said, never said that he, that Disney had said anything that was anti-Semitic or anything like that. The most damning thing related to that 
that was his associations. He was associated with some organizations that had anti-Semitic leanings or were outright anti-Semites. So that was one of the major parts of that. Next, they chose Cinderella. You know, they could have done Cinderella or Alice, but they were having trouble with Alice. So they, they did Cinderella. The studio was in the red at this point. And what was less involved in Cinderella, he was losing interest in the animation portion of it. Treasure Island was a big success at this point, a live action film. And around this time, he decided to build an amusement park. And we know where that went. When it came to Alice, he was worried that Alice had no character. She was just kind of experiencing the things around her and didn't have any character. Of course, for Alice in Wonderland, the point is that it's kind of a representation of her psychology. So, but he even brought in psychiatrists and psychologists to talk about it to try to figure out what Alice was about. Then Peter Pan comes along. It has better reception. You know, it's more of a return to form for Disney. There were a bunch of union issues, lengthy union issues about employees trying to unionize and Disney getting rid of a bunch of employees unionizing. And it's unbelievable how much time this took up. And then we get the new medium again of television. Television is coming along and Disney wanted to use this to promote his feature films and Disneyland before it came out. But I liked, I liked reading about all the stuff that he was doing designing Disney parks. He really got into that again. And this was the pattern with Disney. He would get absolutely consumed by something and then burn out on it and be done with it and move on to something else. And that's what happened with the animation. That's what would happen with trains and polo and Disneyland. And when he went back to animation and there's a whole bunch of that kind of stuff. Davy Crockett miniseries did well. It was really popular, but it lost money. There was 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea that was popular. Lady and the Tramp came along, one of my favorite movies. And it actually, he had bought a dog for his wife and put it in a gift box, just like in the movie. So that's where he got that idea. But he wasn't very involved, it turns out, in the actual movie itself. They get away from RKO and try to do their own distribution. Disneyland was promoted for nine months on TV before they actually made it. And of course, anybody who's been to Disneyland, you might not realize it, but they're, they play with scale a whole bunch to make you feel like a, a big kid or that everything around you is toys. It's a bunch of toys instead of being full-size stuff, which is just a great feeling. That's why it's so nice to be there. But people would tower over the buildings is how they put it. And the rides themselves are supposed to put you in the seat of the protagonist of the movies. Then Sleeping Beauty had all sorts of problems and Walt was just becoming completely disenchanted with the whole animation arm and becoming more business-like and more tyrannical. He was more corporate and distant and terrifying. There were lots of layoffs. He was getting rid of a lot of people and people were scared for the jobs and scared of bothering him or pissing him off. There was a woman animator on Bambi, but there were a few women animators after that. Some said that Walt didn't trust women or cats. <laughs> they always ended up being villains in his movies. <laughs> but some said that he actually felt more comfortable with women and around women. Then we get color television coming out and he starts working on animatronics. He really wanted to make Lincoln. I saw that in Disneyland. He wanted to make an animatronic Lincoln who could speak to everybody. This is really important to him. Something he dove into. When he returned to film, there was like 101 Dalmatians and Sword in the Stone, which were two pretty forgettable movies, especially Sword in the Stone. And he actually talked about only doing live action after that. Live action was doing better and it was easier to do. So he considered that. He developed Cal Arts at this point, an education arm. And then we hit a big part of it, Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins was a big deal. He was very involved with this again. It took about 13 years <laughs> to get to the point of actually making it. It was a monstrous hit, critically and economically. It did very, very well. And like I said, he was really involved in it. So it was a chance for him to get back into the creation of film. And then he dove himself 
into Epcot and to Disney World. He had an idea of picking another place for a Disney park, and they were going all over the country, eventually settled in Florida. But right around this time, it was the upheaval of the 60s. There was an assassinated president. There was a civil rights movement. There was a war that was ongoing. And the author points out or suggests that Walt had become an anachronism amidst all of these things going on. Then he started working on Jungle Book, and he was the one who suggested a voice actor who had kind of this boozy delivery for Baloo, which I think, of course, added a lot of character to that character. But he wasn't especially involved in the animation or making the movies at this point. He would go into the studio and he'd ask the musicians to play it. And he just, he wouldn't specify what, and they'd play Feed the Birds from Mary Poppins. And he'd just bawl his eyes out every time that they played it. And then later he was going in for a routine operation regarding one of his many physical ailments. And they found a spot on one of his lungs. He had been a long time heavy smoker. And then he died in a hospital bed with his brother next to him. And that was the end of Walt Disney in 1966. I think it was December of 1966. Long before most of the movies people would reference related to Disney, you know. And my analysis, I absolutely thought, I thought he had more, he was alive deeper into the history of the film of Disney. You know, I thought he was around for a lot of those later works. I don't know why, you know, I grew up on Disney movies, so I don't know why I thought he was still around for those things. Of course, everybody's heard the rumor that his head is frozen somewhere to be reanimated once they figure out the technology. Apparently, you know, many of his animators and upper management were able to maintain the culture of Disney and plug some of that magic back into a lot of these movies, but it had already been deteriorating at the time. And of course now, I mean, if I had to put a fine point on it, it's Disney is just, it doesn't have anything left. It's just churning out whatever it can churn out. It tried to buy a Pixar to inject some kind of creativity or magic into its films, but that didn't last very long. <laughs> I don't know what's going on over there. They bought Lucasfilm, they bought everything else, Marvel, and they didn't ruin Marvel, so that's good. They ruined Star Wars, no question. We'll see what happens from here, but the Disney movies that come out now, they're just so forgettable when it comes to all the things that Disney, Walt Disney talked about when he was making movies when he talked about making sure that the gags are right you know the gags now like if you watch frozen if you watch moana you'll see these contemporary jokes that just are the kind of throw-in jokes that aren't really refined or anything like that they're just kind of tossed in there huh little giggle they don't come from character they don't come from the structure of the, the movie they don't come from circumstance they're just little throw-in jokes and it's really frustrating it's really frustrating to see that they don't have much of an interest in any of these characters or putting these characters together and while early on this was the stuff that he was worried about it's really annoying that he got sidetracked with a whole bunch of other things you know he wasn't a great animator himself he stopped doing the drawings himself and the animating himself he didn't write the scripts himself or anything like that but he would comb through this stuff just like Larry David on Seinfeld he would comb through all the stuff being thrown at him and be able to find all the the quality stuff that was left you know just carve it down until it was something really good and I think that's something that is completely lost in modern Disney and if you watch the modern Disney movies they just don't have it they absolutely don't have it they don't have even an interest in those things especially a movie like Moana just no interest in, in the actual mechanics of storytelling or character or making sure the jokes the gags make sense and work right within the context of the characters and the storyline they just don't care they're just trying to churn stuff out to churn stuff out to get kids in the seat 
repeats and and that's why there's no magic left and there's nothing that people want to revisit over and over again Disneyland and Disney World is still a lot of fun though I mean as long as they don't change the scaling and and we keep a lot of the classic characters that there's something to them <laughs> as long as we keep all that stuff then those land and world they're still going to be fun they're still going to be enjoyable they're still going to have that magic especially the fireworks show oh my gosh that was one of the most insane incredible life <laughs> live things that I've ever seen it was so awesome anyway that's that's Walt Disney it, it's really depressing not even to a point it's just overwhelmingly depressing to see something so foundational culturally just give up on everything that's great and genuine it I miss it. Thank you. This is the last coffee house. Bye.